0: You are listening to the OrthoIdea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson.
1: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and I will be your host today. And today I have the honor of having Zed Williamson on the podcast. He is the CEO and founder of Trackable Med, and he's going to come on today and talk about what they do as an organization and talk about as well a podcast that he has and several other fun different topics of conversation that we can go through. So without further ado, Happy New Year.
0: How are you, Zed? Doing well. Happy New Year. Appreciate you having me on the show, Eric. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I see you out there in the world of LinkedIn and the things that you guys are doing and some of the other podcasts that you've been on. And so I was really curious to see, you know, what you guys do as an organization at Trackable Med. I see the name a lot and I did some research, but I think it would be fun for our audience to hear exactly what you guys are doing and what your organization does.
0: Sure. Yeah. And What I'll do is to get started is kind of give you an idea of why we exist. So trackable med has been around for 12 years now. So we're not super brand new. I actually come from the advertising world. It is not an industry I am fond of. I think it is totally riddled with a complete lack of accountability to actual results. To me, it's frustrating because you tend to hear a lot of bragging about cute messaging or fancy audiences, but very rarely does someone say, Hey, here's the outcome we should expect and here's what we're going to measure to. So that's why I started trackable med about 12 years ago, and I wanted to create a company that was focused on results. And we have to go beyond that because just saying it doesn't mean anything. So we define a result as something that you can deposit into a bank account. Now, that definition gives us a little bit of a North Star in regards to what we do for our clients. But how we achieve it is really where we've been able to accelerate the profitable growth of multiple groups of types of clients. And that's because we use what we refer to as a heuristic-based neuromarketing. Now, you know that's fancy because there is so many syllables in those words I used, right? So, but yeah, really, you're
1: gonna have to go slow for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and look, if I heard someone say that in my brain, I go, "Yeah, right." What the hell is that? You know, what are we talking about here? Why is that different? Special? Does it matter? Well, the good thing about humans is we all have brains, or you know, we should, and. Because we have brains, we actually have predictable behavior. And a way to think about human behavior is we are designed to survive as a species. And we came up in a time where we were squishier than other animals, less furry, not as long fangs. And we had to outsmart. And so what happens is our brain is brilliant at survival. And it's also brilliant at conserving energy. And so that's what a heuristic is. The easiest way to think about a heuristic is it's an automated decision machine designed to reduce the need for energy by our brain to keep us alive. The thing is, it's a little bit easier to live today, but our brain doesn't know that. So it treats things like traffic the same way it would treat a bear coming at you to eat you. It treats things like stress at work the same way. It treats things like arguments with a teenager the same way. But what's good about all this is heuristics allow us to be able to do some psychological-based interviews of either patients or target surgeons and uncover the heuristics or bias that is keeping them from taking action into the direction that the company wants them to. And so then we create all of our messaging based on that. And so it's not about winning an award. It's not going to be hey, let's have a butterfly fly through New York City and land on someone's knee and then say Kleenex. That's not what we do. What we do is we're going to create a message that's scientifically designed to drive human behavior change.
1: Gotcha. Well, thank you very much for that explanation. I appreciate that. And I've learned something today as well. So it's very good. So thank you for that background. But so what inspired you to start Trackable Med? What was the aha
0: moment, I guess? Yeah, there was definitely one. So I, you know, come from the advertising world. I worked in media and I literally saw that the industry was talking small businesses into spending money on things that the company selling it didn't really know how to make it successful. And I had gone down a pretty crazy rabbit hole of uncovering human behavior and using it to drive change. And the industry was not interested. And I came across a surgical procedure that was minimally invasive, and I heard a commercial that a practice was running locally in the city I lived in, which was New Orleans, and it was just a really bad commercial. And so, I actually I transcribed the commercial, dropped it in a FedEx, and sent it to that doctor and said, hey, there's some things we can do to make this better. I did not have a company at the time. This was just me thinking. And he responded connected me with the medical device company that wrote the commercial. That rep introduced me to five local surgeons. We put together a campaign that they shared. We ran some ads and the response was insane. The medical device company saw a 250% increase in volume month over month for a procedure that didn't really, there wasn't a lot of buy-in yet. And I realized, holy moly, there's a business here. And then it really hit me because one of the participating surgeons called me after we transferred 40 patients to his office for a procedure that was going to reimburse between eight dollars and $12,000 each. And he started screaming at me, angry, saying I lied to him, I wasted his money. And I was super confused. On accident, those phone calls were recorded and I was able to listen to the calls that were transferred to his office. And that's when I met who I refer to as Agnes, who hates her life. And that was the person at his front desk that was just so horrific to the patients that they had no desire in booking a meeting. And so I realized that we really needed to control the entire process. So as a company, we do the advertising messaging. We do the placement of the advertising, whether it's broadcast or digital, all the way to the fancy data use programmatic And then we also are an appointment setting call center. So we take the call that's created by the ads and book the appointment for the practice. And that way, we could, first of all, we could absolutely say, hey, John Smith with United Healthcare has an appointment Tuesday, so you know where your money's going as an advertiser. But also we got to bypass kind of the under-optimized front office scenario that a lot of practices deal with.
1: Interesting. Well, that's I can completely understand. And I talk a lot about on LinkedIn and other places. Just be careful as I say this, the medical device marketing debacle that it is. It's interesting that you honed in on that and went after that avenue because medical device companies and other anyway, they'll take a one pager and put a new benefit on it and send it to everybody and kind of spray and hope it (laughs) sticks or something happens and it. Never does.
0: So you are so right. I mean, there is, you know, the groups of people who work with us, it's either private practice. So private practices who really want to take over the world, they'll have us get them the patients they're really looking for. But the other group of organizations that work with us are medical device companies. And you nailed it because medical device generally, this is going to sting some people at first. So hang Mm -hmm. with me. Yep. Has generally gotten lazy as it relates to actual sales. What I mean by that is it gets turned into, let me throw a feature at somebody and see if they're interested or not. And if they're not, I can move on or I tell my company they're not interested in this as opposed to the true sales engagement where I'm going to uncover what those barriers are and try to figure out what their actual beliefs are. Because when they tell you no and they say, well, I need more data, that is not a real request. No. It's just, they're just telling pushing, you that. So you go away.
1: Pushing you off.
0: Yep. Yeah. And so many times it's just that, well, you know, we need more data. And so everybody goes running. Let's create data. Get a new brochure. Throw that data on there.
1: Oh, yeah. That's the answer that they, you know, all companies strive towards these days. It's going to be, a, well, it's a byproduct of, I'm going, to hear, I'm going to sting a little bit more. It's a byproduct of a high margin business. Right now, as things change, and they will in our our industry, I say this over and over again: we're going to come to a time where some of these high margin items are not high margin anymore, and you're going to have to have intelligent. I shouldn't use the word intelligent. Different ways of attracting customers. How about that? And so they're going to have to do it. I mean, it's happened in several other businesses and industries. It's going to happen in medical device.
0: I think you really nailed it with that. One of the things that we'll witness. That's a sign of what you're talking about is when there is a sales presentation that a team uses, let's say it's a W2 Salesforce for a medical device company, and they have a go-to sales presentation, and it has 9,000 words per slide with 20,000 slides, and it's just pure feature vomit. It's a wonderful word, but that's what it is. It is. And... That still lives in the organization. It's exactly what you just said, because it was not created by design to change a behavior. It was created to use colored ink if you print it and, you know, show it to someone so they could say, oh, yeah, I saw the presentation. It literally does not influence anybody in whether they take action or not, which means we really just don't care.
1: Yeah. Well, they haven't had to care up until now. And I keep ringing the bell of, oh, it's going to change. It's going to change. It's starting to, but yeah, we'll see. And I do see some companies out there who are innovative and they look at different ways to approach the customer. I think a lot of them don't even know who their customer is. That's a whole, probably a whole other podcast, but that's what I just see the ones that are starting to understand and, you know, they're attacking it correctly. I think those are obviously going to be the ones that are going to be winning when this is all said and done.
0: Yeah, I think you are accurate, and it's happening on both sides of the industry. So, if you think about they didn't have to worry about it, if you go on to the specialty practice side, that's true also. Mm -hmm. If you were to open an orthopedic practice 25 years ago, would you ever even need to think about trying to drive a patient in? There's no way. You would just be absolutely full from referring physicians. But with hospital systems, owning referral networks and all that changing, it's also you're seeing the shift there. So you're seeing the shift on medical device where you're going to have to start caring, and you're seeing the shift at the practice level where you're going to have to start caring. And I'm not going to be able to use this reference for too much longer as I age, and the movie is seen less often, but there's an amazing baseball movie called Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. And if I say this, I'm guessing you could finish the quote, but if I say, if you build it,
1: they will come.
0: All right. But in business, it's when you build it, no one cares. And when it comes to the way if medical device keeps doing what they're doing, if practices keep doing what worked 25 years ago, at one point that if you build it, they will come is not good enough anymore.
1: Yeah. And completely agree. And the ones that have had that aha moment, which I don't know if it's that much of an aha moment, or at least they embrace it and conceptualize it, they're going to do fine. But anyway and again another whole other podcast we could talk about the evolution of the medical device industry and how companies are just out there to get into business to be bought you know those well it's going to be an interesting next 24 to 36 months when a lot of that vc money is dried up and that's not going to happen so they're going to have to in order to try to be on that stage again whether they try to be purchased is they're going to have to figure out revenue and they wanted to ways he doing? anyway again that could be a whole other podcast in itself but so typically zed what are your when you, you mentioned specialty practices what kind of specialty practice are you seeing that you're working with mostly
0: really the cover almost all that you would think of some of the specialties that operate more like primary care we don't work with that much like for instance let's say nephrology but urology orthopedic ear nose and throat spine dermatology podiatry Anything where, here's why, this is what's crazy, is the total addressable market of patients is vastly larger than anybody in healthcare actually believes. And this goes back to human behavior. If a specialty solves a problem of a patient, we would be happy to work with them. That may sound silly because that's their goal. But what I mean that is patients generally believe that they're supposed to feel the way they feel. And this is a problem. So this is a survival mechanism that's actually not doing the greatest for us. And what it is, is we fade into knee pain. We fade into chronic sinus infections. We fade into BPH, whatever it is. And then what we do is we tell ourselves, well, I guess, you know, I'm getting older or, well, I guess this is just the way it's supposed to be. And healthcare is really not healthcare, it's sick care. So it waits for patients to come and then treats them when they're absolutely miserable. But there is a gigantic population of patients who all they need is a little nudge for them to understand that someone gets where they are and they are open for treatment earlier in the process, which is better for everybody. I mean, you tend to see technology moving towards less invasive, minimally invasive in-office opportunities or ASC opportunities, keeping people out of the OR, and you'd much rather treat a patient earlier in their disease state than later. And so that's why we work with pretty much all specialties, because patients need to be educated that there are options for them. And it's this is where we I can sound a little bit cheesy, but the words that everyone knows in this organization, we're not a huge organization, we have about 45 employees, but they know That the company believes that it's our goal to help people realize they don't have to live that way. And that relates to three groups of people. The first group is our employees. I've worked in places that were miserable cultures. That doesn't need to be that way. You can work in a place that is positive, helps you grow, helps you increase your abilities. Sunday night, you don't have to be angry. The next day is Monday. And so we work on a, having a culture where people are fired up to come to work. They know they're going to grow. They're going to learn. I mean, our call center employees, we pay them $50 for every book they read on psychology, sociology, behavior change. We have multiple $5,000 book bonus earners. So that's 100 books. Think about the life change that that potentially has for somebody. Yeah, and then interesting, this, yeah, it's, and look, the second group of people are patients there are, patients have no idea what kind of options they have out there. And because we get to benefit from having phone conversations, the amount of conversations where we hear, I had no idea someone could help me and the offers to come find us and give us a hug. We hear that all the time across every specialty. The life changing impact the medical device has on patients is unbelievable And medical device chooses not to educate patients about what's there. And then the third group of people that we believe you don't have to live that way is private practice, independent specialty physicians. You don't have to sit around twiddling your thumbs or sit around busy waiting for primary care to refer patients to you. You can purposely go get the exact patient you want to treat. And when I say exact, I mean, think about the patient that you get the best outcomes from. The patients love it. It's economically beneficial to the practice so that you're a healthy organization allowing you to treat more patients, you can go create that on purpose. And so, we believe as an organization, it's our job to help people realize that they don't have to live that way. And that's where there's so much opportunity. Patients, they have no idea.
1: Yeah. And it's really... It's interesting that you say that they have no idea. You're right. And they just, they're primed to be educated or primed to be informed. I shouldn't say educated, informed and educated, I guess, to those options. And they just, they don't know.
0: And And they also, they get access or they get presented not the best options because I guarantee you, we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon. Right now, someone is getting a surgery, not because it was the best one, but it's the one that their surgeon was comfortable doing. And if they had gone to another city, if they had had access to being educated and what other options there were, they likely could have had a much more minimally invasive approach, or one with better outcomes, or ones that, you know, don't burn the bridge for later procedures. That's what absolutely blows my mind is I brought this up at a Becker's meeting. And there was a panel and I asked the question about why is that it was specifically I was speaking about spine. Why is it so that, you know, there's someone still getting some multi-level fusion when it's not the best thing for them. And everyone on the panel was a surgeon and they just said, well, that's just the culture of surgeons. It's, you know, who's your mentor and, you know, if you're not comfortable doing it and you don't know, and then it's just the steps, it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, People I know might be getting a surgery right now, and there's a better option that they never heard of.
1: Yeah, it really is scary. And when you put it that way, there are, it happens countless times. And I know surgeons who I talk to, and I get the shake the head, and this individual got this done over here, and I'm fixing it, quote unquote, fixing it. That's scary that that happens for a patient. But it like you said, it happens every day. Yeah, Well, and then also you, as part of what you do, you also have a podcast, and if you wanted to give us a little bit of information on that, the audience would love to hear about that as well.
0: Yeah, my chief sales officer Clark Wiederhold and I, we host a podcast called the Medical Sales Accelerator Podcast, and you know the birth of this podcast was every time you go to a national meeting, either like a national sales meeting where you're having. You know these top performing executives or sales reps or managers come into a place and they get to that point where you're done with all the talks, all the speeches at night you're you know you' maybe you're chilling out on the couch having a bourbon and you're just coming up with the greatest ideas ever. And it's people sharing what works in the field. And that was really the birth of the idea of the podcast is, Let's talk to people and just make it a conversation about what somebody is passionate about and how they run their individual business. And so you'll hear we have we'll have authors on, but we really like to focus on, you know, C-level in medical device, sales reps, territory managers, anybody who is fighting the daily fight. They found some kind of little hack or something that has really helped their career and they're okay sharing that wisdom with the world, that's really what the podcast is about.
1: Gotcha. Well, that's, I'm sure, fantastic information because I know that as I interact with several medical salespeople, they love to have access to information that because their company is not giving them that kind of information and giving them that kind of opportunity to learn. So that's great.
0: We hear that a lot. You know, medical device is amazing at clinical training. They knock it out of the park, right? And sure. That's an important part of the role. If it's the only thing someone learns, they're not set up for success. And so it's a passion of ours to share those things of wisdom that we all learned every day. I mean, look, I screw something up every day and I look forward to screwing it up because it's just another opportunity for me to learn and do that next thing better the next time. And so we have thousands of those people across the world doing that. So if we can get people to share those little nuggets of gold, then we love it.
1: Yeah. And there's and like like I just said before, and like you said, there's just, you know, they get clinical knowledge when they go to train medical salespeople. And that's great. So does every other individual on the face of the plant that goes to work for a medical device company. It's how you use that in a sales process that doesn't usually get applied in the correct way. So information like that is invaluable. Agreed. Well, I want to say, Zed, thank you very much for coming on the Ortho Idea podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time and talking about Trackable Med, as well as your Medical Sales Accelerator podcast. If someone wanted to learn more about Trackable Med, where would they go?
0: They'd go to our website, and I'll kind of make it easy for people. If you know a physician who is that I want to take over the world type of person, who would benefit from more of a very specific patient, then it probably makes sense for them to chat with us. And they can visit trackablemed.com and you'll see a section for private medical practices. If you're a medical device company and you are faced with a challenge of you don't have enough surgeons adopting your technology or you've got plenty of surgeons, but you just feel like it's not being offered to enough patients, you should also visit trackablemed.com and there's a section for you under med tech. Click on that and set up a time to chat, and we'll see if there's a good fit to help you guys out. Well,
1: again, thank you very much for all the information today, Zed. Really appreciate it. And again, if you're interested in TrackableMed, trackablemed.com, and hope to have you on the podcast again soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Zed. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.